Hey family, this is Pastor Torre. I'm so glad that you are listening to the Potter's House at 1LA and Denver podcast. Pastor Sarah and I are praying for you, and we believe this message is going to be just what you need. God bless you, and we'll check back in with you after this message. So I want to get right into the word. I'm in Matthew 26, and... This isn't an unfamiliar text. I think it's one that most of us know very well. But in keeping with the season and us really taking a moment to commemorate what it costs for Jesus to be who he is, I looked over at the Passover. Then I looked over what happened after Jesus has his final Passover before heading to the cross. And I found something there that I believe is going to bless you tremendously. I've only got two scriptures. I'm going to start in verse 38. And in verse 38, it says, Then he, this is Jesus, talking to three of his disciples. He says to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Father, that is my prayer for this moment with these your sons and daughters that it would not be what I desire to happen, but it would only be what you desire to happen. And so, Father, I pray that you would allow me to decrease, that you may increase, that there would be no room for my nerves, for my fear, for my nervous nervous anxiousness. But, Father, it would be your strength, your power, and your anointing standing tall. Father, help me to take my time that this word may breathe and take root and produce fruit. Father, we turn this service over to you and we say thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for making him who had no sin all of our sin, Father. May we encounter that great love in this time together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen again. One of the things I've really been focusing on as I really prepared for this message is to really understand the character of God. When I read the Bible and I get this question so many times, people ask me, how, what should I be looking for when I read the Bible? And I think ultimately it comes down to your relationship with God. But one of the things that I try to focus on when reading the Bible is the character of God. What does it say about the character of God that he pulled Moses out of his confusion and called him to be a leader. What does it say about how God can use anybody? What does the character of God reveal to me when I look at David and all of the things that he went through? And I look at the character of God. And as I was studying specifically with that in mind, one of the things that I recognized about the character of God is something that we don't necessarily talk about a lot when we're giving our sermons. But it's something that I think is worthy of noticing because it is is a small but necessary component to us understanding how God functions. And in Genesis 1 and 1, we get a glimpse into this specific trait that I want to lay the foundation for my message with. 
In Genesis 1 and 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it moves into verse 2, and it tells us that the earth was without form and void, and that darkness was covering the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. But Genesis 1 is what I want to focus on for just a minute. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It sounds so simple, it sounds so uh, minute in detail that it doesn't really give us the fullness of what happens in this moment. What happens in between God creating the heavens and the earth is something that we must take into consideration because it reveals to us from the very beginning there's something here in Genesis 1 and 1 that the author of this text, Moses, wants us to understand about how God functions. In Genesis 1 and 1, it's there. I saw it for the first time so clearly when I was studying the other night that our God is a God of systems. In Genesis 1 and 1, it is an abbreviated explanation of the intricate process that produced the solar system. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't break down to us that God created the galaxies and the Milky Way. It doesn't break down for us that God created Mercury and Venus and Earth and Mars. It doesn't break down for us how Saturn and Jupiter and Pluto came into play. All it says is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what that says to me about the character of God is that before he even rolled up his sleeves and began working on Earth, that God created a system. You serve of a God of systems. I want to define what that means. Systems are a set of things that work together as parts of a mechanism or an interconnecting network. God is a God of systems. He put Mercury where it belongs. He put Venus where it belongs. He put Earth where it belongs. And he spaced them apart enough that they can move around one another without colliding into one another. God doesn't do random. He does systems. When I look at the way our body functions, the cardiovascular system, it says to me that God set things in motion so that they could work together and never against one another. That he has a strategy when he puts anything into the earth. It fits into a system. God doesn't do random. He does systems. I think one of the most important things that any of us can do as we seek to find our image in God is to recognize that if we're going to be like God, we can't do random. If we're going to be like God, we've got to have a system. We need to understand how this relationship works together. How is this connected to what God is doing in my life? Because I am connected to a system. I am not random. I am a part of a bigger system that God had in mind when he formed me in my mother's womb. You are a system. You are not random. You are not a coincidence. You are not an accident. I don't care how your parents got together or whether they're still together now or not. God says there is a system that I have in the earth and I need you to be a part of it. I don't do random and I'm trying to be like God. So the most powerful thing that ever happened to me is when I decided that I couldn't do random anymore. 
I don't know about you, but even in this season, I've been thinking to myself, I can't just do random anymore. I can't just let whatever comes to me become what leads me because I'm a part of a greater system. I'm connected to something. I'm trying to raise these children. I'm trying to protect my marriage. I'm a part of a system. What happens to me affects everything connected to me. That's why I am a part of a system. You are not an island. I know it's cute to say we don't need anybody. I know it's cute to say that we can do this thing all on our own, but I am telling you the most powerful revelation that any of us can have is that we are a system. If you don't believe me, ask them why they ask everyone to stay at home. They ask everyone to stay at home because whether you realize it or not, you and your neighbor and the person down the street and the person down the highway are a part of the system. And if one of us is infected, all of us are infected. That same thing is true in the kingdom and spiritually. You are a part of a system. And I can't think of any better example than what we are going through right now to prove that everything is working as a system. And you can tell whether or not a system is effective, not based off of how we are connected, but what happens as a result of us being connected. When you're a part of a system, you will have multiplication. Multiplication is a sign that a system is working properly. They say that they'll know whether or not we have flattened the curve when it comes to this pandemic, because if the system is working, then there should be a multiplication of healthy people. There should be a decrease of those who are sick because the system is working properly. Evidence of a proper functioning system is multiplication. I love this so much and I'm gonna prove it to you. I'm gonna prove to you one, that God works in systems. I'm gonna prove to you that not only does he work in systems, but that evidence of a proper functioning system is multiplication. I want you to come with me to Genesis 1 and 20. Genesis 1 and 20 is gonna help me lay a foundation for this system of multiplication that God set in motion from the very time he created the earth. If your system doesn't yield multiplication, there's something wrong with your system. You can tell whether or not a relationship is functioning the way that it's supposed to function based off of the multiplication connected to it. It doesn't mean that there isn't sacrifice, but your sacrifice ought to lead to multiplication. When I met my husband, I had to sacrifice being a single woman. I had to sacrifice my idea of what my life would look like in that season, but I did not sacrifice it so that I could be subtracted. I sacrificed it because he was a part of my system. I could tell by the way that he spoke. I could tell by the way that we connected that he was a part of the system that would create who God had called me to be. And I knew that when I sacrificed what I wanted, if I sacrificed what my life was in that moment, that I would be multiplied as a result of him being a part of my life. If you are in a relationship, if you are in a friendship, if you are at a job and you have laid down a sacrifice, there ought to be increase connected to your sacrifice. God doesn't ask you to sacrifice so that he can subtract you. God asks you to sacrifice so that you can be multiplied. If you don't believe me, go to John where he talks about a tree bearing fruit and how a tree needs to be pruned, not so that it can stay pruned, but so that it can bear more fruit. God doesn't just add a little bit. I feel God on that. God doesn't just add a little bit to who you are. He adds multiplication to who you are. God says, I'm never going to pull you back to just add a little bit to 
to you, if I pull you back, if I make you sacrifice, it's so that you can be multiplied. God only speaks in multiplication. Everything I do increases. Everything I do adds and becomes more, exponentially more, exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask for or imagine sounds like multiplication to me. If you are faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many. That sounds like multiplication to me. God doesn't just give you a little bit on top. He's not a cherry on top kind of God. You serve the kind of God that wants to multiply you. I want to multiply what I place down on the inside of you. You think you are just one. God says, I place so much down in you that you, if you are multiplied, could change the world that you're living in right now. That you, if you are multiplied, could change that marriage. That you, if you are multiplied, could change that job force. Never doubt the ability of one because God says you're never just one. I put dimensions down on the inside of you. There are layers to who I am. There are levels to who I am and you are just getting started. I don't know who you are, but you have been sizing up what you look like on the outside. And I hear God saying that if you really want to have breakthrough, stop sizing up what you look like on the outside and start asking God what he put down on the inside of you. Because what God put down on the inside of you was meant to be multiplied. You're meant to be multiplied. You're meant to be multiplied. You're not supposed to be an island. You're meant to be multiplied, and I'm going to prove it to you in Genesis 1 and 20. I'm going to start with how God sets up the world because it gives us a clue in how he sets us up. In Genesis 1 and 20, then God says, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. God doesn't sit down and say, every time I need a salmon, I'm going to create a new salmon. He doesn't say, every time I need a whale, I'm going to create a new whale. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to create a system where the system has no other choice but to multiply. That's important for you to recognize because when God created you, he placed you in a system. And that system, when it functions properly, has no choice but to multiply. Multiplication ought to be the way that you just do what you do. It ought to be the way that you just function. I know it may seem weird and it may sound strange, but the only thing that keeps us from multiplying the way that we're supposed to be multiplying is when something infiltrates the system. In Genesis 3, when the serpent infiltrates the garden and has this conversation with Eve, what he's really doing in this moment is he is infiltrating God's system. I was studying this encounter and I realized that the enemy in the garden was not just trying to infiltrate the system, he's trying to infiltrate God's system by making the woman question whether or not she could trust God's system. The enemy doesn't have to break the system. The enemy, depression, darkness, anxiety, it doesn't have to make the system just up and stop working properly. All he has to do, all one thought, one action, one encounter, one experience has to do 
is make you question whether or not you still fit in the system. When Eve eats from this fruit in the garden, all of a sudden her eyes are opened and she doesn't know where she fits in the system. The most painful traumas that we experience as humans are moments where we feel like, I don't know if I fit in this system. That's all it takes, is for you to begin to question whether or not you fit in God's system. And I just want to speak this over you, that God did not call you into this earth to put you in a system where you don't fit. And the greatest battle and the greatest war that any of us may ever have is trying to come to a place where we are confident that in spite of what we've gone through, in spite of what we experience, that I am still a part of God's system. I am still a part of God's strategy for the earth, that I am still a part of how God wants to manifest his will in the earth. You are still a part of God's system. And I know that you had to see some things, and I know there are some things that crushed you and tried to break you, but I'm telling you that even though they crushed and tried to break you, that they did not break or change your place in God's system. God's system cannot be broken. God's system may be infiltrated, but it can never be stopped. It can never be halted, and God will find a way to make sure you end up right where he had in mind in the very beginning. You see, because multiplication is a byproduct of who we are. It is what we are called to do. We do it organically, whether we realize it or not. And I can know that because when I was studying this text and I was looking at what it means to be a product of your environment, the product is the answer to any multiplication problem. The product of our environment means that ultimately we have become not just the answer to what's happening in the world, but we have also become a symptom of someone else's system. God help me. To become a product of your environment means that you have become a symptom of a system that existed before you got here. Generational curses are symptoms of a system that existed before you got here. When your mother went through her heartbreak, when your great-grandmother learned that it was better to keep still and to be kept quiet than it was to vocalize her pain or her trauma, she created a system of silence. They created a system of how we handle issues in our family. They created a system of how we handle unwed mothers in the church. There was this system that was set up. There was this system that was set up, and sometimes we're living in the symptom of someone else's system without even realizing it. But as I was reading this text, I realized that the same way that God gave us the ability to multiply broken systems, that he also gave us the power to end the systems of multiplication that continue to harm us and cause us trauma in our families, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls. What does that mean? It means that it may have not started with you, but it can end with you. That you have the ability to start a new equation, to start a new way of being, to start a new way of connecting with God 
God to start a new way of showing up for your family. I don't know what symptom you have been living in, but I hear God saying that you have been living in it long enough, that you have become a product of your environment, but I hear God saying that that doesn't have to be the final product. If I had to name this message anything, I would name it the final product. The finished product happened on the cross, and it gave us the ability to change the final product of anything that we face. And right now, I want you to be crazy enough and bold enough to begin asking yourself, can I live with the final product of where I am right now? Or is there still air in my lungs because I am the remedy that can change the final product? I want you to know that no matter what you have gone through, no matter what you have faced, that God has given you power and ability to change the final product. I hear God saying that your great-grandchildren don't have to go through what you went through. I hear God saying that I have given you power and creativity and strategy, not so that you can be rich, not so that you can be famous, but I gave it to you because I'm trying to change the final products. I'm trying to change who you get to become when it's all said and done. And I hear God saying that all you needed was an awakening, that all you needed was someone to tell you that I know that's how everyone else did it along the way, but you don't have to be like everyone else. You don't just have to accept that the women in my family do it this way and the men in my family do it that way. I hear God saying that you are the one who can change the final product. What are they going to be saying about you 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road? God says it's going to come down to what you do in this moment. It's going to come down to what you reject in this moment. I want to prophesy over you. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through, but I hear God saying that it's time for you to reject the answer. It's time for you to reject what you have accepted. I refuse to believe that this is how I have to function. I refuse to believe that this is the only way that I can show up in the world. I reject this product. I reject this idea. I reject this notion of how I have to be. And instead, I'm opening up myself because I want to know what God saw when he manifested me. I'm tired of living out my great-grandmother's issues and living out my father's issues. And I don't want to be, I don't want to be a product of this environment anymore. I don't want to be a product of this environment anymore. This environment shame created. This environment brokenness created. This environment caused my family trauma after generations, after generations, after generations. And I don't want to be a product of that environment anymore. I hear God saying, you don't have to accept it. You just need to be awakened to the fact that I've given you the power and the ability to change it. You are the only one who can change the narrative of this story. God says, I can give you power, I can give you ability, I can give you strategy, but if you don't do anything with it, then the product is gonna stay the same. And it's not until you take what God has placed in you and throw it at the brokenness that is within you then the product may stay the same. But if you're crazy enough and ambitious enough to say, I want to change the final product, then you're going to experience a dimension of who you are and a dimension of your family that they may never see again. This thing is serious. And God needs you to refuse to believe that I have to continue to be a symptom of a system that has been broken. 
I admire the people who decide that they are going to be an activist or a protester in different fields and different sectors. Because what they're saying to me is I'm going to buck the system. That's what I feel like God wants you to do. I feel like God wants you to buck the system. I want you to become curious about whether or not things really have to be this way. I want you to become curious about whether or not education really has to take place this way. I'm not saying be rebellious. I'm just asking you to take a look at the system in which you are living in and ask yourself, did God create this system or did brokenness create this system? Because remember, we multiply. That's autopilot. We multiply. In the text, in the read the whole Bible, you'll find it, as my husband would say, there's a text that says that you'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. That means that even bad trees can bear fruit. That means that you can multiply things that aren't necessarily good for you because you were created to multiply. That means anything that is in you is going to be multiplied. That's why you need to qualify what's in you. If shame is in you, shame has the ability to multiply, and it has the ability to not just affect you, but your children's children as well. You multiply on autopilot. So that's why we have to become curious about the environments we're living in because I'm going to multiply what's in me. I can tell you what to do all day long. I can tell you who you should be all day long. But at the end of the day, the only thing that will multiply is who I am. The only thing that will multiply in the earth is what is in me. If you meet my children, they talk like me, they act like me, they show up like me. I didn't sit down and tell them this is how we talk. I didn't sit down and tell them this is how we act. What happened was they just started multiplying based off of what was in me. If you meet my mother, you'll say that I act just like her. If you meet my father, you'll say that I act just like him because what is in you is what multiplies. And so I'm asking you to qualify what's in you. Because if you're going to buck the system, you got to recognize that your fight first starts with what is in you, not what is around you. And sometimes it is a distraction to focus on the systems outside of us to keep us from confronting the systems that are within us. But I hear God saying everlasting change only comes when you first confront what's in you. That's why I love this text with Jesus, because Jesus, his ultimate goal, his ultimate mission when coming to the earth was to buck the system. Jesus came and he came preaching and declaring that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why was this important? Because he's getting ready to buck the system. He was letting other systems know that when the kingdom of heaven is here, that means the other kingdoms have to end. Every time I see Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I wonder what other kingdoms were being set on notice that their reign was coming to an end. There is something powerful about us recognizing that when we speak the kingdom, that we dethrone anything that is unlike the kingdom. I was looking at nurses and doctors praying in the hospital, praying in the place where it says illness is king, praying in the place where they say death is king. And when I saw them clapping their hands and when I saw them praying and I saw them going to war on behalf of themselves and their patients, what it said to me was that the kingdom of heaven is at this hospital. I know this is a little off subject, but I want you to start getting bold 
bold like those nurses and doctors who had work to do but took a minute and said before I do the work I want to establish who was really king in this place before I cook the dinner I want to establish who was really king in this place divorce is not the king the separation is not the king disunity is not the king the kingdom of heaven is at hand the kingdom of heaven is at the hospital the kingdom of heaven is at the grocery store I know it sounds crazy because I just came here for food but I hear God saying everywhere you go the kingdom of heaven needs to be preached everywhere you go the kingdom of heaven ought to show up the kingdom of heaven is here the kingdom of heaven is here I'm not going to cut open a patient until I recognize that the kingdom of heaven is here I'm praying for your loved ones I'm praying that they would be well I'm praying that they would recover you know how I'm praying it I'm praying that the kingdom of heaven would come to them I'm praying that the kingdom of heaven would come to your finances because in the kingdom of heaven there is no lack in the kingdom of heaven there is no division I speak the kingdom of heaven I'm dethroning principalities I'm dethroning generational curses somebody better let their brokenness know the kingdom of heaven is at hand somebody better let depression know the kingdom of heaven is at hand the kingdom the kingdom the kingdom the kingdom of heaven is here I know it sounds crazy that I can lift up my hands in the middle of a pandemic but the kingdom of heaven is at here we are all in this room because the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you may disbar a few things but you can never disbar the kingdom the kingdom will be in my apartment the kingdom will be in my car the kingdom will be in my children because when I stepped into the room throned everything that didn't look like the kingdom the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is at hand and so I watch how Jesus works when he's getting ready to change the final product when Jesus gets to the earth he's getting ready to change the final product I feel the Spirit of God on this thing he's getting ready to say that death doesn't have the final say he's getting ready to say that blindness doesn't have the final say God says I'm getting ready to change the final product and I'm going to do it by multiplying a man named Jesus so when Jesus steps in the room he starts prophesying about something they can't see yet it doesn't look like a kingdom it just looks like one man but when God gets finished using this one man you're going to see that there was a kingdom down on this man I don't know about you but when God gets finished using my life there will be no doubt that the kingdom of heaven was down on the inside of me when God gets finished pouring me out there will be no doubt that the kingdom of heaven was working down on the inside of me you only look like one but you serve a God of multiplication and God says when I get finished pulling you out when I get finished stretching you wide that the kingdom is gonna come out of you like a flood I speak the kingdom over your dreams I speak the kingdom over your music over your mind over your degree the kingdom the kingdom Jesus started prophesying the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of heaven is at hand the kingdom of heaven is getting ready to change the final product and that's what I'm saying to you you can change the final product and Jesus recognizes that my one mission here is to change 
the final product. And now, when we meet Jesus in the text, it's Passover week, just like it is now. And now it is time for him to be multiplied. This is the moment where Jesus is going to go from being the man who was prophesying about the kingdom of heaven at hand to the man who was multiplied so that we can all become a part of the kingdom. And I wanted to study this because as I was praying, the strangest thing came to me. God kept saying, Sarah, I'm getting ready to multiply again. I'm getting ready to multiply. I'm getting ready to multiply again. And I want you to study how I multiply. Because if you study how I multiply, then you're going to recognize how to teach other people how to multiply what I place down on the inside of them. And what better person to study than Jesus in this process of multiplication? First of all, let me say that the reason why we need you to be multiplied is because what God has placed down on the inside of you needs to inhabit the earth. That God has given you gifts and talents that have his name on it. It has his stamp on it. And it needs to be multiplied in the earth because there are other kingdoms in this world the kingdom of idolatry, the kingdom of pride, the, the kingdom of ego. There are other kingdoms in this world. Tiger King, what is in this world? And we have to be willing to recognize that we have the ability to release the kingdom. But it cannot be done unless we are willing to be multiplied. And I looked at this week, this Passover week, when Jesus is preparing for multiplication because I wanted to understand how do we position ourselves inwardly and spiritually so that we can be multiplied. And Jesus during this Passover week is with his disciples but he has to be separated from them when we see him in this text. Separation is a part of multiplication. Being separated is a part of the process to being multiplied. That means that if you are expecting to still fit in with everything and everyone and be multiplied, you will be disappointed because there are some things that God cannot multiply in you while other people are projecting their thoughts and ideas about who you are and who you should become. God says, in order for you to really be multiplied, I need to concentrate you. I need to concentrate you. I need to isolate you in a space where you're hungry for who I am, where you're hungry for my voice and my voice alone. I hear God saying, I'm going to cut off the access to everything that was feeding you because anything that feeds you has the ability to multiply in your life and there are some seasons where people don't even know what to feed you this isn't even in my notes but it must be for somebody whatever someone feeds you becomes what is multiplied in your life I'm reminded of the serpent in the garden and Eve tells God that the serpent deceived me and I ate from the tree the serpent changed my mind he changed my diet and now deception has has been multiplied in my life. Whatever you are fed will be multiplied. And that's why in some season, God says, the only way that I can get you to multiply and become who I have in mind is if you are willing to be separated and isolated. There are some people, when we're finished with this quarantine, when we're finished with this isolation, they're going to be multiplied in a way you could have never imagined because they started eating something different than the lies and defeat and the fear that the enemy was feeding them before. And so Jesus is 
preparing to be multiplied. And when he is preparing for this multiplication, he separates himself. Now this is the time where he is to offer up his life as the spotless lamb, the living sacrifice. He is the lamb. This is the first Passover in which Jesus will literally lay down his life. Up until this point, he has experienced 33 Passovers where he got to watch someone else sacrifice a lamb, where he got to watch someone else sacrifice. But this is the moment in which he would be called to sacrifice. This is, for many of us, the first time that we've ever had to sacrifice ourselves on the level that we are sacrificing in this moment. But what this teaches me about multiplication, specifically as it relates to what Jesus is doing in this text, is that Jesus literally cannot be multiplied until he confronts the places within him where he has sorrow. Jesus cannot be multiplied unless that part of him that has sorrow dies. I'm in my text now, Matthew 26, verse 38. He pulls away from the disciples, and he goes away to pray. And he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. That means that he recognizes that there's something in me that is so sad and so gloomy, and I have to get it out of me because I'm about to be multiplied. And I don't want this sorrow to be multiplied, so I have to have a confrontation with what's in me that's keeping me from laying hold of what God has for me. What if I told you that you cannot be multiplied unless something in you is willing to die? That means that you can't have it your way and have it God's way at the same time. I shared with you a little bit earlier about how even as I was marrying my husband that there were parts of my life that had to die so that I could be multiplied. Multiplication does not come without sacrifice. Multiplication does not come without death. There are people who are waiting right now. They want to buy a house. They want to do X, Y, and Z. They want to write a book. They want to do this and that, but they don't want to sacrifice. You cannot be multiplied unless you are willing to sacrifice. So, so long with these dreams of what you're going to do next year and what you're going to do 10 years down the road. What I want to know is what are you going to sacrifice today so that you can be multiplied tomorrow? Only lazy people talk about what they want to do. People who are actually going to do it start sacrificing so that it can be done. They start holding themselves back and holding things close to them, not because they don't want to spend it, not because they don't want to go out, not because they want to be at home being lonely, but because they realize that the only way I can be multiplied is if I am willing willing to sacrifice. You cannot have it your way all of the time. You cannot do you all of the time. Sometimes you got to do God so you can figure out who you are. And until you're willing to sacrifice who you are, you can expect to stay stagnant. But Jesus says, this isn't going to be my portion. I want to confront what's in me. I want to talk about how important it is for you to confront what's in you in the process of multiplication. I came up with this formula that I asked them to put on the screen and it is completely random and probably a terrible analogy, but stick with me. There are all of these numbers on the screen, these huge numbers, and all of these numbers would be multiplied into becoming an exponential number, but there's one problem, there's a zero in this formula. If we serve a God of multiplication 
and we have potential in this area of our life and potential in that area of our life, but we do not confront the area where we have that zero, if we don't confront the area where we have that sorrow, where we have that shame, where we have that sin, where we have that brokenness, it doesn't matter how big you are in other areas of your life if you don't confront the area where you are a zero in your life. I know that didn't sound cool because everybody wants to be a hero, but I'm telling you right now that you don't reach hero status unless you confront the areas where you have brokenness. This is Passover season. This is Jesus getting ready to go to the cross and Jesus teaches us a valuable lesson about multiplication that I cannot let this sorrow take away from my multiplication. I wonder what is down on the inside of you that is threatening to take away from your ability to multiply. I got to start going to therapy. Why? Because I need to be multiplied and I can't be multiplied with this brokenness in me. I got to start saving. Why? Because I need to be multiplied and I can't be multiplied with this zero down on the inside of me. I hear God saying that your key to breakthrough, that your key to multiplication, that your key to breaking that generational curse is not going to come by how many degrees you have. It's not going to come based off of how many checks you can get. It's not going to come based off of how many dollar signs you receive, that your breakthrough is going to come by how you confront that zero, that sorrow, that pain that is down on the inside of you. I don't care how well you do in other areas of your life. If you don't confront your attitude, if you don't confront the fact that you're still broken by the way that that rejection left you, if you don't confront those abandonment issues, it doesn't matter how well you do. You're still not going to be multiplied in the way that you could be multiplied in the spirit realm because you are unwilling to do the work required to be who God has called you to be. Only people who don't mind rolling up their sleeves and going to work on themselves will see the fullness and the manifestation of God. I may have to apologize. I may have to forgive. It's not because I don't want to. It's not because you didn't hurt me. It's not because I walked around and everything went the way that I wanted to, but I'm doing it because if I don't do it, I may end up a zero in a season where God has called me to multiply. Anything in me that doesn't look like the fullness that God has assigned to my name has to be eradicated right now in the name of Jesus. I'll give it to you the way they said in Corinthians. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. It doesn't say that you can stay weak in one area and strong in other areas and God will balance it out. It says if you're really weak, if you're really struggling, if you're really broken, then that's the area where you need to let me in because I have called you to multiply and I'm so glad that I serve a God who doesn't mind looking at the areas of my life where I'm empty and looking at the areas of my life where I'm broken and saying I can make up the difference. I hear God saying that you don't have to walk around limping any longer. You don't have to walk around broken any longer. That you serve a God who will make up the difference. I'm so glad that I serve a God who won't let me walk around weak. You're struggling with lust. You're struggling with brokenness. You're struggling with these thoughts in your head. Suicidal thoughts. Depression thoughts. Bitterness and anger. And I hear God saying, honey, that ain't nothing but a zero. That ain't nothing but weakness. And I am the God who can make himself strong in your weakness. I can help you take that weakness and turn it into ministry. I can take that weakness and turn it into prosperity. I'm looking to multiply you. And I hear God saying, you don't have to hide it from me. That you can get like Jesus in the garden and start saying, God, I am exceedingly sorrowful. I am exceedingly broken. I am exceedingly on the verge of losing my mind. Father, I walked around like I had it under control. But now that I'm getting closer to multiplication, there are some things that I don't want 
wanna go with me I don't wanna spend my life working for everyone else And never get to working on myself I tried to work on him I tried to work on her But what I really need to work on is myself Jesus says I can't perform another miracle Jesus says I can't help another lame man walk Right now I gotta work on my own issues Right now I gotta work on my own struggles I gotta work on my own sorrow I hear God saying that it's time for somebody to get selfish You've been performing miracles for everybody else You've been performing under pressure for everyone else But the defining moment of your legacy will not come down to what you did for everyone else. It will come down to how you presented yourself to God. God, I don't want you to look at what I did for everyone else and miss the fact that I was living empty, that I was going to the cross broken and sorrowful. Jesus says, I recognize that if I don't deal with this trauma, that's down on the inside of me that I can't be who I'm supposed to be on the cross. I'm supposed to go to the cross knowing that his purpose and his will is the only thing I'm living for. But what do you do when his will makes you sad? God, what do I do when your will makes me sorrowful? Jesus teaches us in order to be multiplied that he doesn't need you to make it look easy. I don't need you to make it look easy. I don't need you to make it look like you breeze through this moment. I just need you to give me your truth. And Jesus, in the garden, he offers God his truth. He says, God, your will, right now your will hurts me thinking about people burying their parents, cousins, and friends. God, your will, your will right now. God, your will hurts me. God, I don't want to have to do this. God, I don't want to go through this divorce. God, I don't want to face this disease. God, I don't want to stand up to this. What do you do, God, when your will makes me sorrowful? And Jesus, Jesus goes into the garden. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful and I can't make it look easy anymore. I can't make it look like I have it under control anymore. And at the end of the day, I have decided to trust you, but right now I'm not there yet. God says, it's okay for you to not be there yet. But God says that you cannot lay my will on top of your will. So first, let's start with your will. Jesus starts with his will before he gets to God's will. He's gonna go to the cross. He's gonna change the final product. But he refuses to allow his will and God's will to exist at the same time. So this moment during Passover is so important to me because it is our opportunity to say, God, your will is hurting me. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna survive, I'm gonna make it, I know I am, but right now, I just wanna say, ouch. 
Right now, I just want to say it hurts. God, it wasn't supposed to be this way, God. It was supposed to work out differently, God. Please, if there's any way that someone else can do this, that someone else can be strong enough to handle this, God, choose them instead. But he prays this prayer knowing that at the end of the day, if you still choose me, I'm going to show up. But I refuse to make it look easy. You think that you can only get this badge of honor if you act like you made it look easy. Isolated, quarantined, fighting for your marriage, fighting for your health, fighting for your finances. I gotta be the strong friend. I gotta make it look easy for everyone else. God says, I don't need you to make it look easy. I need you to make it look real. Because if you make it look real, when someone else starts struggling with the cup that I give them, they will know that it is okay to be sorrowful and to still change the final product. I want you to know that it's okay for you to be sorrowful. God says, I can still multiply you, but you gotta give me that emptiness. I was praying and I know without a shadow of a doubt, that God is multiplying us. But it doesn't feel like multiplication because most of us are in the garden and we're being confronted with the fact that his will and our will don't look alike. I miss you, I love you, I wish you were right here in this room, but his will and my will don't look alike. But I'm still here anyway. Because at the end of the day, I'm not gonna allow my will to be more powerful than his will. I don't want to have to face this. I don't want to have to face that. But I'm still going to show up anyway. You don't have to show up as if it was easy. It's okay for it to be hard. And Jesus proves this to us. This Passover week. So when he'll change the final product. And I believe that as we are in this season. That it will be the time in which you change the final product too. But I want you to know that there are gonna be some things that have to die first. And death is never easy. And death never feels good when your dream is on pause, when that relationship isn't progressing the way that you wanted it to, when you have to walk away from the business and walk away from the organization. I know it's not easy. It's not easy when things have to die as a part of his will, but I hear God saying that death will not have the final say. If you don't believe me, come back on Sunday because in just a few short days, we're gonna be celebrating the fact that death did not have the final say. And I don't care what has to die in this season. I want you to know that when it is all said and done, that the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave is going to touch your marriage. It's going to touch your household. It's going to touch your family. It's going to touch your health. I hear God saying you're going to have joy again. You're going to have abundance again. How do I know it? Because you serve a God of multiplication. And I will never ask you to sacrifice unless I have multiplication waiting on the other side so father here I am here I am I lay down my will I lay down my life because I believe I believe you God I trust you I trust you I trust that you know what it takes to get to the final product 
So remove anything in me that keeps you from getting to that final answer. Man, you're watching. I want to pray with you. Because every time you turn around, it feels like something's dying. The pandemic is one thing. Your way of life is another. The way you show up in your relationship, in your marriage, I don't know about you, but I've been feeling lately like, Jesus, what else could fall apart? Jesus, is it not enough that we're in this pandemic? I want to pray with you because it feels like you are surrounded by death. Death of a dream. Death of joy. Death of peace. Stress is running rampant. Fear is running rampant. And I want you to know that God can handle that just for a minute I want you to give me 10 minutes of your truth and of your honesty you've been showing up you've been putting on your cape but just for a minute I want you to be like Jesus in the garden and I want you to admit that your soul is exceedingly sorrowful and that's okay he can handle that I want to pray for your soul Jesus tells God about his exceedingly sorrowful soul and then he does the most powerful thing that any of us can do from the place of sorrow. He starts to pray. Luke tells us that he prayed until drops of sweat of blood started coming out of his head. I think that he prayed to the same level of his sorrow He prayed on the same level of his pain. He prayed on the same level of his trauma. That is my prayer for you. I'm going to start the prayer, but what matters most is how you finish the prayer when this message is over. That you would open up your heart and your soul in such a way that God can get to know you for real. And so in this moment, I want you to connect with heaven. Not from your place of strength from your place of sorrow it's just between us God says I can handle that father it really feels like all hell is breaking loose and yet the kingdom of heaven is at hand father help us to understand the power struggle that's taking place right now the right now sorrow is trying to have the final say that anxiety is trying to have the final say that there's a power struggle happening and the last thing that i want you to have to fight is my will so father we offer you not just the perfect pieces of our life father we offer you in this moment our sorrow father my friends my family they're watching online right now And they've been in a lot of pain. Father, they're in this room right now. They're checking the sound. They're behind the camera. They're playing the instruments. They're in this room. And they too have been dealing with sorrow. But Father, we recognize that you did not come so that we could walk alone. That you wrapped yourself in flesh so that you could get us out of these sorrowful places. And so Father, we ask that you would meet us in the place of our pain that you would meet us in the place of our emptiness and our brokenness because Father, 
At the end of the day, if you're going to multiply who we are, we don't want you to multiply our sorrow. So, Father, meet us where we are and give us the strength and the power to walk this thing out. Father, we're not asking you to take this cup away from us anymore. We're asking you to help us walk out your will. So, Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would fall on us like never before. That you would allow your strength to permeate our abilities like never before. Father, we've gone as far as we can go without your strength. We've gone as far as we can go without your power. From this point forward, we need your heavens. We need the windows of heaven to open up over us father we need you to breathe on us afresh we need you to give us creativity like never before father we need you to help us grieve the things we've had to let go in this season so that we can lay hold of who you have called us to be father I prophesy multiplication over their spirit I prophesy multiplication over their gifts and their talents they may have lost the job but they didn't lose you they may have lost their mother but they didn't lose you they may have lost the opportunity but they didn't lose you and father if I have you your word promises me that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world so greater come forth greater come forth greater 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 the kingdom of heaven is at hand the kingdom of heaven is at hand over your depression the kingdom of heaven is here over your sickness it's over your illness father let your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We make room for you, Father, in the broken places, in the empty places. And we ask that you would fill us, that your strength would be made perfect in us, in the deepest parts of our weakness, that we may know you in a fresh new way that we may trust you in a fresh new way. And that when it's all said and done, the only thing that will be left after this encounter with you is only that which is worthy of multiplication. Father, seal this word. Seal it in the empty places. Seal it in the broken places. And let it take root. And where there was once fear, where there was once suicidal thoughts, where there was once depression, where there was once anxiety, Father, let it take root and produce God fruit. Let it produce peace. Let it produce joy. Let it produce breakthrough. Let it produce generational blessings. Uproot the generational curse and produce the generational blessings so that our families can have a different environment than the ones that we had. Father, I thank you that in your word it's already done. That like the song says, it's sealed in heaven. So let it be sealed in the earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Listen, I told you, I'm gonna start the prayer, but I wanna challenge you to not just close the computer or take off to Instagram or social media but to take a minute and to have an encounter with God. For some of you, it may be your first time. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to make it look easy. Just make it look real. And allow God to meet you in your sorrowful places the same way Jesus did. Sometimes it can just be, God, I need you. 
God, help me. God, give me strength. God, give me power. God, give me vision. He'll give you the words. Just create the space for him to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Potter's House at 1LA and Denver podcast. Pastor Sarah and I pray that you receive this word and that it will bless and enhance your life in unthinkable ways. We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and not just to this podcast, but subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. We live literally to encourage and inspire you. God bless you. Until next time.